All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. I am here by myself. This is Pizza Mind. Bryce is off doing all of the intensive slave labor that I have him doing uh, that only he can do very well because I'm a little scatterbrained, as you guys know, but I've got a great show planned for you today. We actually have with us here uh, Alex Newman and Lonnie Ray of Human Protocol. So welcome, you two, to the Crypto 101 podcast. We're talking about crypto today. Thank you so much. I really hope it is a pleasure to be here and let's keep it that way. No more craziness. Okay. One more, if you'll afford it to me. Uh, This human protocol thing, it's a cool name, but is this what later becomes the matrix or what does it actually do? That's that's a great question. You know, we were definitely uh, a source for good in the world. uh, And we think a lot about how to build human to human and human to machine and machine to machine interactions on protocol on blockchain and at a high level the way to think of it is for all of human history human labor has been the one of the most important things one of the most important quantities but it's never been fungible it's never been programmable and it's never been quantified or, or quantifiable the human protocol attempts to really create a an underlying atom of human work so that way it can be successfully programmed and exchanged and used uh, with human to human, human to computer and computer to computer interaction. I think what's what's really wonderful about it is that it's important to establish dialogue um, and it's important to have, you know, early ways of ensuring that we're communicating effectively as we're developing these algorithms. And that's part of what I'm so excited about. All right. Interesting. So. Before we decide if you guys are the good guys or the bad guys, let's hear about your past before you're doing what you were doing before human protocol. Lonnie, if you wouldn't mind, give us your backstory, how you got to this point in your life. And then Alex, uh, follow up with your story as well, please. Yeah. So I was uh, training to be a physician. Uh, I was uh, in the medical doctor program at Boston University School of Medicine and kept having patients who were having issues that were encountered by their infrastructure. So ended up actually with a patient in the ICU as a direct result of problems with record transfer. So I ended up from there going and starting a company, Metal, M-E-D-A-L, like a gold medal. And that company uh, developed um, machine learning to be able to effectively read and translate medical data from lots and lots and lots of different systems, everything from, you know, the, the spaceship systems Uh, that are like really super advanced that you see in academic hospitals all the way down to the stuff that you actually see in most places, which is still faxes. And when you see that, you're 
trying to translate records that may be ambiguous or confusing. So Mr. Huntington, who lives on Huntington Street or has Huntington's disease, or a woman whose name is Beverly Hills, and you're trying to translate that into a zip code to figure out outbreak detection. I sold that company earlier this year uh, to a large health records uh, vendor that's processing many millions of records every day um, and using that in, in patient care and learned a lot about uh, the types of things that we would need to make much better, um, much more balanced and much less biased uh, machine learning and to create higher performance and uh, I guess machine learning that better serves humanity. And so that's part of why I'm so excited to be here. Well, okay. I guess you can stay. Alex, what about you? <laughs> That's great. So uh, Intuition Machines, which was the, the inventor of the human protocol, uh, was actually my, my fifth startup. Uh, I'm three for five. And uh, most of my work was in open source software or uh, database or distributed database design. And so I, I, I mostly was working on that. And when I was on my uh, last exit before Intuition Machines, I was looking around for stuff to do. And I wanted to learn uh, about machine learning. And I ended up running into Eli, who's the other co-founder, had been doing it for about a decade uh, or longer, actually. And we ended up doing some consulting projects for some of the largest machine learning vendors and ended up uh, creating kind of like a poor man's version of HCAPTCHA to solve one of our larger projects. And so we decided to spin it out as a blockchain uh, uh, application. Two-sided marketplaces, especially un- untrusted two-sided marketplaces, are notoriously difficult to bootstrap. So we saw blockchain as kind of the natural place to start it. Uh, Eli and I have also been longtime uh, Bitcoin holders. And this idea was actually broached in the Cyberpunks mailing list, actually, way back in the day. I, th- I think it was after the pizzas, but uh, before Bitcoin was expensive. And the one thing that kind of always kept people from from doing any of these micropayment models on the blockchain was cost. So in, when we designed the human protocol, we designed it you know, in mind with the cost that you see in blockchains to make that stuff efficient, but still taking advantage of the uh, untrusted market aspect. So it, it really was just out of a, a client contract, something that we needed to build anyway. And then we decided to, to build on it. And, and to be honest, uh, I think we were a little bit optimistic about how easy it would be <laughs> to build a capture system. But uh, a couple of years later, uh, now, you know, uh, HCAPTCHA is one of the, the largest internet sites in the world and is, you know, blocking bots for a huge portion of the internet traffic. Well, if you're blocking bots, I guess you're on the side of good, too. All right, Alex, you can stay also. Whew. All right. Glad <laughs> to get to know you guys. I feel better. And I feel like I have so many questions that I want to get better educated on. I know there's a lot of listeners out there that uh, may have watched Terminator, and that's the impression we have of all machines at this point that has anything to do with AI or machine learning. But can you explain to me, what is the difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning? Yeah, sure. Actually, it's pretty, uh, that's a pretty straightforward one because Artificial intelligence is just a wider domain than machine learning. So uh, there are lots of different ways to achieve artificial intelligence, intelligence, which is artificial on a computer. And one of those is to use algorithms which can learn from their input. And that's what machine learning is. It's the type of artificial intelligence where instead of encoding the, the intelligence into the algorithm itself, you develop a piece of code which can learn from its input. And from that, it, it solves intelligent problems. So would you say that artificial intelligence is not sentient, but machine learning is? Well, so machine learning is a subfield. And uh, I don't know, <laughs> sorry to be a little uh, uh, weird, but I don't exactly know what sentient is. But the... Um, uh, like, you know, conscious, to, like conscious, like well, conscious, yeah, 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 it's good. There's conscious, there's sapientness, there's sentientness. All of these are slightly different words with, with slightly mm-hmm. different definitions. And I think that, you know, um, the, the machine learning approach, the, the approach of teaching something through input is how we became conscious. Right. We were taught by our parents, by our society, by our environment. And so I think we believe that's got the best chance of developing the type of intelligence that that animals have, including mm. humans as a type of animal. You know, the, you must that, have read Sapiens, haven't you? I, you know, I haven't. Everyone says I should read that, read that, uh, read that book. But I have oh, spent yeah. a good deal of time studying insect vision. 
And if you really want to kind of understand how smart these, these visual algorithms are, you know, I usually give the analogy is that they've got the same kind of optical cortex that a really smart bug has. And they're able mm. to kind of, and, and actually the type of vision that, that the, the CNNs, the specific type of vision networks, uh, is very similar to what we've seen in fruit flies. So there, you know, maybe I can send you an article to some, some nature articles where they were comparing the two, showing how they work similarly. But uh, the field of machine learning was mostly invented out of biomimicry. So the godfather of machine learning, Hinton, was actually a kinesiologist. And he uh, created systems which were based on his understanding of how animals or humans see. And we, it's kind of been back and forth where, you know, we kind of guess how vision works. And then we try that in the networks. And then that does or doesn't work. And then, you know, you know Hinton will work with the uh, neurologist to see if that's how neurons work. And then we'll study all these things. And like the rest mm. of science, all of science is becoming very interrelated. And there's a lot of cross-disciplinary work. Unfortunately, Hinton, Hinton's wife did pass recently. So, uh, you know, my, my heart goes out to him, but it, it's, uh. it's slowed down this, this particular type of research. And the other type of research, machine learning tends to be very math focused, understanding, can we bring kind of more flexible structures from mathematics into uh, machine learning that are more adaptable, more able to, to do more with less data. And that's where the Jean LeCun and the other kind of schools of uh, ML really have picked up. And it's it's been kind of these two schools, one that's kind of more math and physics and the other that's more biomimicry, that's really had the big breakthroughs and changes that we've seen over the last, well, uh, neural networks uh, 50 years. It's it's A lot of people don't realize this, but we've been using neural networks in real production scenarios since the seventies. So we can, uh, well, I'm sure Whoa. we'll cover more of that later. And one no thing idea. that I really, <laughs> one thing I really think about with regard to language, which is an area that uh, I've been working in for the last five years, as well as when you think of developmental biology or how humans evolve or how children learn. I think a lot of these big models, they, they basically, are able to take huge volumes of language information or, you know, data and put them in what in a human we would call like the working memory, right? But whether or not that is actually being integrated into comprehension or understanding or whether it's like a super advanced parrot, I think a lot of the models that we see in language today are, it's much more advanced than, than we might think because the amount of data that can be, it's almost like cramming for a test. So like the amount of data that you can cram is is immense um, and that you can hold in working memory. But the ability to like reason or logic, some of that shortcut learning is is really still has a ways to go, I think. Well, I hope Hinton has a paper somewhere that can explain why my cat will never look into the camera lens when I want to take <laughs> a cute picture of his face. Uh, that would really help me in my daily life. But what are some other use cases that applied machine learning is good for besides taking pictures of my cat and uh, studying fruit flies and like reading uh, EKGs that have been sent over a fax machine. Just, get, just ramble on a list, Lonnie, if yeah. you wouldn't mind. I really uh, want to uh, know. Lonnie, you want me to jump off or you got it? Yeah. Why don't you take a few? I'll take okay, a few. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So <laughs> my personal favorite, and I alluded to it before, was it was actually Lacoon who worked with American Express it was either in the late seventies or early eighties was one of the first applications of neural networks to actually identify handwriting. And this was used by the Fed check system as early back, like I said, either late 70s or early 80s. And we actually use a lot of these same techniques today to do character recognition. In fact, a lot of the, the original benchmarks that we used uh, to, to understand how algorithms are and understanding text were created then. In fact, Hinton once said, you know, if the algorithm could perfectly understand the letter A in all of its forms, then, you know, it's indistinguishable from conscious, which I, I think I know what he meant uh, after, after seeing how badly and how ugly someone can write the letter A. But, but you know, I think that this, this handwriting recognition story, it, it's so powerful because it's a field that's been getting better and bigger since the 70s. So if you think of OCR now, it's a massive field. That employs huge amounts of people and has a huge amount of uh, just uh, practical applications behind it. But I'm sure Lonnie actually knows some more ones that might be a little bit more, uh, yeah. more on people's pulse. 
I think, you know, people think of the things that have the best marketing sometimes. So, you know, Watson has pretty good marketing, but if you look at the performance um, in hospitals, a lot of hospitals actually discontinued their contracts with Watson. And I think that realistically, the the biggest thing is you're still looking at a maybe a garbage in, garbage out scenario uh, in terms of mm. the, the primitives or the building blocks. And this kind of goes back to what Alex is saying about OCR and about language. So if you if you imagine that you have huge database and you have tons and tons of medical records, right? And those records are in thousands of different formats. And you're trying to just read them and say, what is the frequency of Huntington's disease? And you have people who live on Huntington Street and people whose name is Huntington and people who have an uncle named Huntington or an uncle who had Huntington's disease. It's not as simple as just being able to find the frequency of the word Huntington. Um, It's really more about the meaning. And then another example is if you have, you're trying to do outbreak detection. So for example, like COVID detection and where there's an outbreak and you have women named Beverly Hills in this database, it may be really hard to say whether or not there's an outbreak in an area around Beverly Hills, because maybe you have women named Beverly Hills. Um, And so I think that one of the areas, when you go back to that, you know, that handwriting detection, that ability to understand the world around us and, and, and to understand the meaning behind some of these words is actually a huge area of development and research. And it's about that kind of the, the mapping of knowledge and almost like the thesauruses of how all these terms and things are actually connected. And you kind of have this like pyramid of specialized knowledge. You have like generalized knowledge. You may have diversity of knowledge or cultural knowledge that varies based on where you are. Um, so for example, what you might consider a long sleeve shirt in Saudi Arabia might not be, you know, might be very different from what you consider a long sleeve shirt in Miami. And then you have these more specialized knowledge. So like aeronautics engineering or medicine or things like that. And I think that fundamental knowledge actually greatly affects the performance of some of these higher order uh, things that are like really buzzy and get a lot of press, but maybe aren't as advanced as that press might portray. And what's super important is the fundamental understanding down back to what Alex was saying. Can you even understand? Let's imagine if you had an AR, you know, an augmented reality set of glasses, maybe, you know, that might be produced by some tech company in the not so distant future. Having that work the way you might expect would mean that you could recognize the letter A written in all of its forms when you were looking at it, which the human mind can do, but which is something that is still being developed or that if you were to look at a document, you might actually be able to accurately pull that information. And that really is like this fundamental layer that fuels kind of all the things that we like to think about. Um, But that is so deeply important and is going to be fundamentally important to building systems that are higher performance, less biased, you know, and maybe will serve humans better and, and interact with us in a way that we might be happier about. So that makes a lot of sense. It's basically an evolution of the search bar, which yeah. can give you much more accurate results yeah. in com- very complex data sets. So if I'm in crypto and I'm talking about getting the rug pulled on me, uh, it would be able to understand what that means in the crypto industry as opposed to the textile industry. That's a great point. Context, like at every at every level of context, how many different cultures, how many different subjects, you know, I, I think, you know, right now we're, we're speaking English with the Western context of everything we're saying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you know, from crypto, the rest of the world has some different contexts and yeah. being able to do yeah. all of that would be really powerful. And that's what one, you guys are one, studying a lot of. Yeah. And one, one thing that you can even just see this is you know, if you try and use Google Translate to to communicate with people all over the world, how many times you actually have to enter and tweak and enter and tweak to get a translation that will hold true. And if you think, okay, if you can't easily translate, then you must not understand what it means in the first place. Because if you make an analogy or you have some cultural context and it doesn't translate properly, it actually means that underlying there was a lack of comprehension of what it really meant. Yeah, I just got back from Brazil and I was using Google Translate every day. What you just said is entirely true. 
we would look at each other. They would try and speak English and I would try and speak Portuguese. And we would just laugh at each other as we would poorly communicate. We got the point across most of the time, but uh, the syntax was what was missing. Yeah, there's a lot. I, and, and those are things that we're looking at. You know, the, the human protocol, uh, you know, with HCAPTCHA is now running. How many countries are we in now, Lonnie? You remember? Uh, I think it's over 274 countries and territories. Oh. So the context, you know, when you think about cultural context, when you think about bias, when you think about those uh, layers of the way an algorithm works, um, you know, I think it's perhaps off overlooked and incredibly important. So let's talk about your blockchain. When you're dealing with something that could be as private as medical records, obviously you don't want to have something like that as transparent to the entire world. But can you tell us, uh, does your blockchain use a consensus mechanism that's proof of stake or is it private? Is it, uh, does it have ZK snark? So it can be optional. Give us the lowdown, Alex. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. So, uh, we right now, uh, the, our blockchain is solely running on the Ethereum testnet as a token. Um, however, all of the results uh, and questions are encrypted, and we actually use Ethereum as a PKI. So we, you know, your public key, right? N- not your account information, but your public key, which generated that account information, yeah. can be used. You know, you can distribute that, and then people could uh, theoretically use that public key to sign stuff just for you. So we actually have a smart contract where you associate a public key with each wallet in the system, whether it's one of the oracles or the people getting results. And the data is, is appropriately encrypted for each actor in the system to leak the least amount of information to any one of the oracles. In the future, we are looking at more privacy-centric blockchains for our chain bake-off. That is something that people have uh, expressed a lot of interest for. Uh, but right now, you know, now that Ethereum is kind of where most of the action is and, and that's where we're located and, and our bulk is, um, we have to build an encryption layer on top to protect the results exactly as you said. And there's, yeah. there's kind of two, two kind of things there because in our model, the, and we're more moving to more and more of a decentralized system for launching the job. And so the thing which is launching the job has to be able to assure that the stuff that it's putting up is safe and safe can mean like, uh, you know, doesn't contain bad content, but it also means like the actual place where it puts the URL, if it puts it on a web server, that web server has to stay up for when we're serving the captcha. If it goes down, um, right. you know, that'll be, that, that, that's a, that ends up being a problem. So um, that part of the system, that part of wh- whether the reputation agent um, sees the questions coming in, it doesn't need to see the answers coming out necessarily. That can be done kind of fully over the blockchain. That being said, we have a model which can look a lot closer to traditional ML workflows that people are used to, which is traditional APIs. That way the ML programmer doesn't necessarily need to directly interface with the blockchain. Uh, there'll be more information coming out about that soon. And in that model, unfortunately, uh, since you actually are returning the answers directly, that intermediary that, that's providing the link to the blockchain would uh, would would see the answers unless another set of secrets were shared. Um, but and, um, yeah, go for it, Lonnie. I was going to say, and to iterate, I know I've given some examples in the medical space. That's in part because I have a lot of experience in that space. You know, to be clear, I'm not a proponent of putting ident- any kind of identifying personal data on, on, on blockchain in that manner. That's not to say that there aren't ways of understanding concepts that don't involve necessarily putting, putting a, an individual's personal data into that sphere. So I think a lot of the things that, that, you know, we're, we're serving or doing, there's, there's certainly ways to do them both public and private. There's privacy preserving ways, and there's certainly ways to, to consider, you know, I've worked in, Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. 
That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recorded, they're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy video lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one with the three-in-one. You don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy video lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy video lock. That's E-U-F-Y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y video lock. Eufy video lock. Get complete control over your front door. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply areas that you know have interfaced with government or highly sensitive data and there's a number of really interesting technologies that allow you to separate any kind of personal data from the types of answers that you're trying to uh, understand in order to process a particular type of understanding or comprehension or answer a question and to separate the private data from the question itself yeah uh, another another important point might be that you know the the actual results and questions mm-hmm are linked to from the blockchain, but they're actually on some steady storage. So they could be linked to a, you know, HIPAA compliant, you know, uh, bucket, which contains the storage. And then, you know, there's an encryption layer on top of that. That makes sense. Now that my paranoia has died down about everything that you guys are doing, my mind's starting to churn with all these different ideas and thinking, oh, encryption layer. Maybe they can use new cipher. Maybe they can use secret network. Maybe this will someday be on Filecoin. I don't know. But there's so many options available to you guys in uh, the V2 and V3 versions of this in the future. I think what you're building is going to be really amazing. Maybe even Constellation because it's not a blockchain. It's a DAG. And you guys could be running, uh, you know, billions of little microtransactions a second on this thing for next to nothing. We actually tried using IPFS initially uh, for for a lot of our storage. We're looking at the CFL coin, et cetera, for all that storage. From our point of view, um, we can support a variety of protocols. It's just a URL. So, you know, right yeah. now the, the, the URLs all start with HTTPS. Yeah, uh, we used to support ones that supported, supported IPFS colon slash slash. And in the future, we want to have more more of those protocol handlers, uh, so that way we can support anywhere. And as long as they're reliable and fast, you know, it's great to to make that more decentralized. And and when you think about kind of what's in the blockchain, for us, the blockchain is all about this order book of work, understanding kind of all the different types of jobs, how much you get paid for storing them, kind of how to ask the labeling job. So. You know, if you look at some of the jobs, you'll see their example questions, example images to display in the in the captcha. So, so all of that stuff is what gets on the blockchain. But the big data, the hefty stuff, because especially since we're on Ethereum, it has to unfortunately be on some external steady storage. And then, like I said, we we have an encryption layer on top of that 
Uh, so that way, only the people who, who had the right private keys can see the data. Interesting. Okay, so there's so much potential with this, but where is it at right now? How can the average user interface with human protocol? A lot of people probably don't realize they are. Um, right now, we're running on the Ethereum testnet, and uh, we we are paying users out uh, via PayPal. And we're we're mostly we haven't fully exposed the system so that anyone can can launch jobs. We're we're doing that now. Um, we've done some pretty amazing labeling with it. But the exciting thing um, that we're launching right now, you know, is, is our actual network, and that'll involve the ability for people to bring their own jobs, uh, you know, control the, the, the assets that we pay people out directly. Um, and, and all of that type of stuff we think is going to drive a lot of people to, um, to use this new platform for labeling, you know, labeling as an industry is exploding. You know, if you look at the size of the labeling industry and the people who are part of it, um, these people who can generate new data sets, they're kind of outperforming all the other fortunes of the the marketplace in, in the data in the data space and so we think uh and, and and when talking to people the big missing bit is capacity that the people who um who, need, who want this data labeling can't get it at the rate that they need it even with the the finest vendors as they say quantity has a quality uh, all of its own and there's nothing that really rivals the size of our work pool you know if you're looking at it we measure our work pool in terms of percentage of the overall internet <laughs> that's using our tool. And so, uh, yeah, which is, yeah. which is, uh, you know, just to, to clarify, it's about 15% of the overall internet. 15% yeah. of the overall internet is using your technology. Right. Right. And so now we want to open up the other side, which is let's democratize access to this labeling technology to businesses through the blockchain. And we have to do a lot to make it easier for people to do that. But it's always been the real goal is to basically allow any company to have the same power that Google or Alibaba, these companies that pay, you know, literally have multi-billion dollar um, costs uh, for labeling. You can now compete directly with them uh, using our protocol, which, you know, I've been involved in blockchain my whole life. And, and secretly, a big part of it is I like, you know, kind of pushing the big guys over. Uh, with the power of our community, and we're hoping to bring this tool to uh, to give them a new a new weapon in that fight. I think what's so exciting, so you know, to to kind of follow up on that, you know, the likelihood is that many of the people who will be listening will have unknowingly interacted with this already. I, you know, have seen a, a, one of the things that really drives excellence or greatness in a product is competition in the marketplace. And like Alex is, is saying, you know, a lot of that ability to obtain large quantities of labeled data has, you know, really depended on being one of these huge organizations. And as we open, you know, as we work to open things up, you know, the 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 hope and the goal there is to drive competition, to drive market dynamics, and to make it uh, such that you know more companies, more organizations, more individuals can create high performance algorithms, can access these large quantities of data that previously were very hard to access and to make that, you know, more available, more accessible and more democratized. Um, so that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited about. What other companies in the industry are doing something like what you guys have right now? If I go to your website, it reminds me a little bit of StormX, uh, which is another, uh, human work marketplace in crypto or Amazon Mechanical Turk, would those be valid comparisons or is what you're doing slightly different? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Like who, who are the closest people? So uh, we definitely uh, have, you know, not only the, the capture uh, pools, but we'll be onlining more dedicated work pools. So, so we do fall into a lot of those places, whether they're online marketplaces or they're kind of more, you know, full labeling shops. We actually, uh, you know, there might be a little competition, but we actually assume they're going to be using our protocol behind the scenes as well. Uh, a good example here is say you already have a large workforce that is specialized in labeling. You might actually have them do kind of the first pass on labeling and then actually have our CAPTCHA be your QA system to do an additional layer of labeling. 
and and so and the other thing that's nice is say you you have a full-time labeling shop and well your work is going to be very bursty and you might run out of work to do but with the human protocol once you run out of work to do you can say oh give me all the work worth more than this amount and i'll send it to my guys so we kind of think we're complementary to the existing protocol and to some extent we're kind of competing with them uh, especially you know we kind of really lower the cost for those basic labels, the basic QA. But in terms of um, augmenting those existing protocols, we, you know, we look to help them behind the scenes. And to some extent, we imagine that, you know, as we become bigger and bigger and a larger and larger network, that more and more work will just kind of flow to us. You know, if you look at the size of our, uh, you know, Mechanical Turk isn't really the biggest one of the work pools out there. But if you look at kind of the existing work pools out there, we're already significantly larger than them. And so this type of network effect of bringing all the work into one place is going to, um, we, we think, continue to happen. And, and they'll be able to plug in into this, this network, this protocol that we've created. So, so they're all our competition and none of them are. <laughs> the answer, interesting. Okay. So this is really cool. And um, I shouldn't say unique, but quite different from most of the companies we run into. Where... Actually, let me jump in there. Let me let yeah. me jump in there. So 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 Intuition Machines, which I was a co-founder of, mm-hmm. uh, is a company. But actually, we represent the Human Protocol Foundation, and we're a new independent foundation um, that you know that has the Human Protocol that's taken it over from Intuition Machines. But the goal is to be somewhat uh, a bit more independent, so that way we can have not just Intuition Machines, but uh, a couple of uh, very large organizations, universities, and companies all deploying apps on top of us, all uh, with their specializations. And, and I think we've announced some of that. Lonnie could probably say more. Yeah. So I think what's what's really exciting is if you think of the infrastructure, you already have you know full-fledged applications that are able to take advantage and utilize um, the blockchain infrastructure. And you know, really the way to think about that is that it's like the order book and that you have the ability to have these marketplaces. And it is a competitive advantage for these organizations to be able to plug in their marketplace and be able to then pick up jobs that are being posted or that, you know, may be posted or may be added, as well as diversifying the types of, of labeling jobs that can be both ordered or could be ordered um, and, and then could be picked up as potentially a premium piece of work. So when you think about it, um, you know, we've, we're really, we're an independent foundation. What we're building is open source. Um, we're building it in the public sphere. Um, and what's, what's really lovely about it is that it's very modular. It's very easy to, you know, we've been able to, to add or assist with adding additional applications in as little as, as one sprint or two weeks. Um, because it is is easy to plug into and is modular. And we've already demonstrated adding an open source piece of software that has been developed by Intel called CVAT, which is a more advanced labeling uh, platform that uh, enables some additional types of jobs potentially to, to become easy to, easier to order in the future and to post orders for potentially in the future. And we anticipate that, you know, we, we will be working to add additional types of platforms as well or applications and assist people to add those applications. And then, you know, I think the hope is that we would be able to make it really simple for people to then order those, those new types of jobs. So it's really a diversification of, of the types of labeling and, and the types of things that you, questions essentially that you may be able to ask of the world in this way. I mean, it's a crazy story. It's a crazy story when you think about it. You know, when I first started, we were just this little application running on Ethereum with some users on it. You know, then the by the you know within a year, uh, year or so, we had almost you know fifteen percent of the internet. I don't even know what it is now. And then uh, now we've got um, all the chains excited for us to to be added to the network. This self help reputation agent, and now multiple application, not just Captcha, running on the protocol. Um, it's pretty crazy how quickly all of this stuff is happening. I, I, you know, I, I'm a technical person. So honestly, like all of this change doesn't actually make me super comfortable, but we've, we've, you know, crushed it so far. And, it, and it really, you know, the, the quality of the people who we're dealing with now, whether it's, you know, people at Intel or, 
or whatever. It's, 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 it's just a total game changer. And, you know, we we're excited about, you know, not just CAPTCHA, but, but really crushing this whole human protocol aspect. When we first started, there weren't a lot of open source labeling tools. There's a whole industry of open source tools now, and they're all super excited to, to monetize that open source, provide funding through their projects or research projects through the human protocol. It actually kind of makes the whole industry a bit more sustainable. Yeah, it's really mind-blowing um, just how far you guys are along before even doing uh, a token An sale ICO. or adding yeah. any of the crypto. So, I mean, that's what I was going to say a second ago is usually someone will come out with a white paper, do all the crypto tokenomics, distribute the tokens, and then, all right, now we've got some money to go build. We'll see you in three to five years. Cough, cough, Definity, cough, cough. But you guys are coming in with all the technology. Uh, you already have Intel building on your platform, which is something no one else in crypto can say. And at some point, you're going to come out with tokenization of all this stuff to pay people. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. the last and piece, not the first piece. That, that's, that's phenomenal. That's, that's, that's exactly right. And um, you know we're already running on the test net, so we can see exactly how much it would cost. We've done a lot of tuning uh, to get that to be realistic. A lot of stuff, the side chain, some of our modifications, the base ERC-20 model for bulk API payment. So that way when we do move main chain payments, it's not too uh, too inefficient. We're, uh, we're really excited to, to tell people about it and launch this protocol. I, I personally, you know, that's why I've done, did all this is to hand it all over. But we really wanted to make sure when we did hand it over that people were excited as I was about the vision. And so I think part of that is, you know, handing over a fully operational Death Star. Uh, and that's what we intend to do. Yeah. Now, I don't like to put people on the spot on this show, Alex. So if you want to decline this question, we'll edit it out completely. But it's very relevant at the moment. Ethereum gas fees are anywhere between $70 and $250 per transaction right now. Yep. That is not going to be possible to make micropayments on Ethereum pretty much ever again, in my opinion. So from a lead technologist standpoint, where you're sitting, what do you do in this situation? Do you look at an Ethereum sidechain like Fuse Network or Binance Smart Chain or Quantum? and you port over there? Or do you consider a completely different layer like Solana or Polkadot or even IOTA? Like, what do you do? So we, um, and we're, there's gonna be a lot of stuff coming out about this month. We're really focused on this multi-chain future, being able to um, launch jobs into a variety of chains, pull them out of a variety of chains, bake them off. Uh, we have had contributions from Scale and Moonbeam for kind oh, of our okay. side chain. From our for from uh, for sidechain work, um, yeah. in, and so that wouldn't be on the payment network side. That would be just for the sidechain work. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have a bulk payment model, so we can actually pay somewhere between eight to sixty-four people in a single transaction, which mm -hmm. does help a good deal in terms of uh, one-to-many payments. But you're right, you know, uh, it's still like a, another way of saying it is the higher fees go, the less often I can pay my people out, which that's yeah. no fun. And, and I want to pay have, people you, often. If you have to pay out 15% of the internet, I mean, Ethereum gas fees are going to be one or 10 Ethereum each. Oh, that's that a good point. point. So, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're paying out the websites, but that's another great point. If we wanted to pay all these users uh, who are doing the work directly, that's yeah. not going to be possible. I mean, that's what crypto is all about is eliminating the middle. I agree. So I, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. And, you know, this is stuff that we're looking at stuff that we're baking off, but, you know, we uh, we work uh, very closely with a lot of the multi-chain coins. Mm -hmm. And the reality is a lot of the famous multi-chain coins are from an older era. Um, yes. Nowadays, we've got things like Chainlink. We've got all these fancy things. Uh, multi-chain techno uh, multi technology is quite uh, sophisticated. So we're going to be coming out with some papers about payment agent and reputation agent to alleviate exactly what you're talking about, those types of fees. Um but we're going to be able to do that all within the safety of still having ETH being plugged in, being able to pay people through the existing protocols. And yeah, you know, if we need to, if we need to figure out uh, another way to pay people more efficiently, we've got a whole bunch of tricks up our sleeves on, on how to do that. And yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I, I would love to see 
Um, every single person who's browsing the web, interacting with the crypto system, uh, making and making their life safer, it blocking all of these bots, which are you know ha- making it so difficult to know what people think. You know, I I, I think all of these things uh, could be pointed together with crypto. And we really, you know, I don't want to be too idealistic and say it's all going to happen tomorrow. But I think that, you know, it's got to move in this direction. You know, we as a society have to figure out how to take control of the Internet, whether that's bots or who's getting paid or who's controlling the Internet in general. And and we want to be a part of that. Well, Alex, I have a lot of confidence that you will figure it out and uh, hopefully you get if you are taking any user solicitation for feedback, I'd love to dual mine basic attention token at the exact same time. There you go. It, yeah, it, it would be a perfect marriage together. We love those guys. So a uh, little bit of side note, I actually worked at Brave on version two of Muon. Uh, Why Brendan, am I not surprised? Brendan is a, <laughs> is a ty- Brendan is a tight friend there. CSO. Uh, is is one of my idols, Jan. She, we've known each other for a long time, and uh, you know, I, I I love everything that they're doing over there. You know, we're co- we're completely aligned and uh, in terms of what we're trying to bring to the internet. And uh, yeah, we we talk a lot about how we can work together. And and one thing you might look at is, um, you know, uh, we work on something called Privacy Pass, which is a bit of technology for for private uh, internet browsing. And Brave also is, is getting involved in that space. So I wouldn't be so we've gotten on a couple RFCs. I wouldn't be so surprised if Brendan Ike and his group of badasses also ended up on those same privacy preserving uh, RFCs for the internet. I wouldn't be surprised either, but that's great to know. I'd love to talk to you guys for another two hours, but our listeners do not have long attention spans. <laughs> so with one more closing question to both of you. It, what is one company that you think is going to have the biggest impact in the crypto space besides yourself? Yeah. Well, I mean, from, from my point of view, what's interesting right now for me, just looking around, uh, you know, Bitcoin was kind of the first big thing. Uh, and, and, and clearly DeFi seems to be the, the second big thing in crypto. We like mm-hmm. to view ourselves as the third big thing. Uh, we're not as big as DeFi yet with their, their 20 billion in reserves. Um, but, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff behind DeFi. Not all of it is companies. But the one company I keep on uh, hearing in DeFi is that compound company. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that uh, I don't know how much money they're making, but uh, I hope they're doing good stuff with it. Robert Lesher is a beast, an absolute beast. Everyone clones Compound for the smart contracts. Uh, he's got his own VC firm. He's one of the smartest guys in the space and probably the most underrated as well. And everyone I talk to that brings up his name just talks about what a great guy he is too. I'm not an investor in, in that at all, by the way. So I'll disclose that. That's okay. Uh, I need to become one. Lonnie, what do you yeah. think? Yeah, so... That's a great question. Uh, I, I certainly am excited to continue to follow the things that the the team over at Brave is working on, um, and so, and some of the things that we've kind of already touched on and mentioned. In addition, I think that you know, especially as we do this multi chain bake off, and and look at you know essentially how many of our transactions that we could unroll onto some of these, you know, potential L one systems. Uh, I'm very excited to see you know how how they actually withstand that type of volume of essentially billions of transactions when we start to unroll them um, and, and how that actually performs in, in that scenario. Um, And then I would say there's, there's one other thing, which, you know, you kind of touched on a little bit, which is that as these gas fees get higher, you know, the transactions and, and how, how it will actually look when we are trying to essentially easily pay one another, um, you know, with, with cryptocurrency and, and things like that, which is something that kind of has to unfold. And there's a, a founder that I'm uh, really excited to see what he continues to do, Josh Goldbard and, and the, the work that they're doing over at MobileCoin and just seeing, um, you know, how they work on, you know, the, I guess the user experience of, of one-to-one payments. So those are things I want to take certainly... I want to take mine back and say that Lonnie's got the better answer. I, I totally agree with all of that. Whatever... You know, we really are going to see the inside of these chains and see which ones can perform. Uh, you know, crypto is a, often about the story 
until it becomes the reality of $250 gas. And yeah. one of the things that we're going to be doing is we're living in the future here at the Human Protocol, and we're really going to push these things to the edge. So I think Lonnie's right. Whoever survives our bake-off, I'm pretty sure is going to be the, the, the one to look yeah. at. I'm super excited to see what happens when we try and dump billions of transactions like, right. <laughs> onto these guys. And like, you know, what exactly, you know, occurs. Um, yeah. So what's to- the latency <laughs> of that transaction? What's the reliability yeah. of the transaction? All those details yeah. are going to come out. All right. Well, if 15% of the internet breaks, I know whose fault it is. <laughs> Thank you two so much for putting on such an entertaining show with me today. I feel much better about the future of the Great Reset as long as you guys are involved. Where can the people follow you, follow the updates to the Human Protocol, and keep tabs on something that is really, really cool? Yeah, you can check us out on our website. It's hmt.ai. Right now, there's kind of like a little teaser up. You can sign up to receive updates, and um, I would expect that more updates and things might be rolling out there over the next few weeks. So stay tuned. Um, we're also on Twitter. It's Human Protocol uh, on Twitter. Um, and we have a Telegram group. Um, I think those links will end up, if they're not already up today, I think they'll, they'll be added within an incredibly short period of time. So Fantastic. And by the time this comes out, we'll have it included in the show notes as well. So thank Fantastic. you to you again so much. Um, we're definitely going to have to have you back on in another year or so and just hear the, the story of progress. This is great. It was wonderful to talk to you. Absolute pleasure. Bye. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.